become a patron of Entertainment Landfill. Go to patreon.com slash landfill for details. Entertainment Landfill is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Thank you. presents Landfill News with your host, the J-Strom. Now, here's your host, the J-Strom. Hello, everyone. That's me. I am the J-Strom, and I'd like to thank myself for introducing myself. So, thanks a lot, Jason. <laughs> uh, uh, what what has this become? I'm thinking myself. Come on. Hey, guys, you are here for Entertainment Landfill News. This is where I give you news, stuff that I read about uh, before the show, something that catches my eye, and uh, I tell you about it on this show. And hopefully you're enjoying this. Uh, what is this? This is my sixth, uh, okay, seventh episode that I'm now recording now, and I hope you guys are digging it. I'm hoping that we can soon do an ETL Daily, a regular entertainment landfill with Bill and Steven. This Friday, though, that is kind of tricky because Captain America Civil War comes out. And I definitely want to see that Friday, you know, hell, I want to see it right now, but I have to wait till Friday. And I would very much like to see it and then come straight home with Steven and us just start talking about it full of spoilers, just everything, just gushing about the film or, you know, uh, stuff we hated about it, which come on, let's face it. That's not going to (laughs) happen. I really doubt that would happen. It would have to be like Highlander to the quickening bad for me to, uh, (laughs) not like the film. I think that's the reason I bring up Highlander to the quickening, by the way, it's probably the most disappointed I've ever been in a film going to see it opening night. Think about it. Highlander loved that film. Saw it when I was a kid in the theater, watched it a million times on cable over and over and over again, you know, recorded it, watched it on VCR, you know, <laughs> it's a kind of magic. You know, I just loved it. It's a Freaking awesome Russell Mulcahy film, Christopher Lambert. I always thought it was Christopher Lambert, you know, for the longest time. And then one day I was corrected, you know, it's actually Christopher Lambert. It's like, did I even care? Did I even want to know? But come on, we got to say the guy's name right, right? Uh, Connor McLeod, great movie. Okay, then you find out, oh my God, they're going to make a Highlander 2 Sure, it makes no sense because um, Highlander had an ending. 
You know, he killed the Kurgan. Oh, shit. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no, okay. He he won. There can be only one. Well, guess what? He's the last one. But in the second movie, you know, they're like, okay, there's going to be Highlander 2. And I was thinking, you know, probably a lot of people did. Oh, there's a wealth of stories in the past before he's the only one, the the final immortal uh, that they could do all sorts of stuff, stories in the past. It'd be so fantastic. No, 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 no. This takes place in the future, baby. Yeah. With Connor McCloud, he's an old man. You see, he can grow old now. Oh, okay. And he's invented some kind of barrier that covers the earth to protect it from the, uh, you know, because we've depleted the ozone layer. I think there's some kind of statement on pollution in the movie. And not only that, we find out that actually Connor McCloud is actually from the planet Zeist with Sean Connery. And they get banished to Earth where they're immortal. And the guy even says, unless you get your head chopped off. <laughs> I remember just sitting through this film with my mouth agape like, what? what am I? What am I watching? What is... What is happening? Was the Renegade version any better? Uh, Adam, uh, I don't think I've seen the Renegade version. I, I don't think I want to. That That's how scarred I was from Highlander 2. It was like, I never want to see this again. It was just shocking how bad it was and how there was... It was like, it should have never been made. And then, of course, they made more Highlander movies where, hey, you know... He's not the only one. He's not there can be only one because Mario Van Peebles was frozen and he's still alive because he gets thawed out or something. Uh, no, he's still around. And then there was Highlander. Then there was another one. I remember. Remember they had Highlander to the TV series or whatever. But anyway, I'm hoping that Captain America Civil War is not uh, Highlander 2, The Quickening Bad, <laughs> which I don't think it will be. That's that's why, you know, you hear me like, hey, Jason wasn't too hard on that film. He really liked it, even though a lot of people hate it. It's like, because he was mentally scarred by Highlander 2, nothing could ever be that bad, right? Definitely. And uh, I want to give a shout out to Brandon and Adam in the uh, chat room. What's up, guys? Thanks for listening live. I appreciate that. And may the 4th be with you. <laughs> because today is uh, Star Wars Day, May the 4th. And I thought I would start off with a uh, Star Wars story. Uh, this has to do with a Star Wars video game. Ooh, I'm kind of excited about this. A, uh, this is from IGN, uh, Titanfall dev Respawn, working on new third-person Star Wars game, which is great because I really want a cool story-based Star Wars game. You know, we had Star Wars Battlefront for the PS4, and in fact, I even own that game. I got it for Christmas from Bill, and we were supposed to play it together, which... We still have never done. <laughs> but maybe one day we will. Hey, maybe I'll play it later today for Star Wars Day. But uh, I would like to play it. But I honestly, I want a story-driven Star Wars game. EA has announced that Titanfall developer Respawn Entertainment is working on a new third-person Star Wars game. In a post on EA's official site, Patrick Soderlund, Executive Vice President of EA Studios, confirmed that the game will be... An all-new third-person action-adventure game set in the Star Wars universe. 
and that Respawn's project joins Star Wars titles in development at EA Studios, including Visceral Games, Dice, Capital Games, Bioware, and Motive. The project will be led by Stig Asmussen, I guess that's how you say his name, former God of War 3 creative director, who joined Respawn. We promise to pay respect to the Star Wars legacy at all times, a fact that will be constantly reinforced and honored as a central game design tenet. Fans should expect the exemplary level of quality first established at Respawn with Titanfall, a game that epitomizes our studio's dedication to slick, larger-than-life action and fun, groundbreaking mechanics. At EA... You know, I will say this about Titanfall. It was fun to play. It just had no story. But uh, I don't think it wanted... It, it didn't want there to be a story. At EA right now, we have multiple studios building a variety of great Star Wars games spanning different genres. We are all united by our team's passion for Star Wars stories, characters, and adventures. Soderlund wrote, Whether they've been along for the ride since Episode Four: A New Hope or were introduced by the magic of The Force Awakens... It is fueling our development teams and our partners to create unique interactive extensions of this deep, meaningful universe as a game maker. Nothing is more exciting. Well, you know, Star Wars has a lot of toys to play with in that universe. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. I, I can't wait till. I hope we see something in E3, some kind of new Star Wars games developing. And I think we will. I see. Adam, thank you for suggesting a story. I'm going to get to that here in a second first i saw this story and i thought it was kind of neat uh hulu is working on a live tv service for cord cutters now what this is is you get live channels on hulu where you can uh you're basically streaming live television network television uh i think uh ps4 is doing that right now uh, they have the PlayStation View, and I wanted to try it out. I mean, I don't need it. I have DirecTV, but I think it would be cool. I just imagine a time where, like, oh, the hell with this crap. Let's get rid of these live channels and just stream it. I just wonder if my internet could keep up with it. Hulu is reportedly working on a new live TV platform that's designed to tempt cable subscribers to cut the cord. The Wall Street Journal believes that Hulu has ambitions to square off against both domestic cable providers as well as the Sling TV and PlayStation View. Oh yeah, the Sling TV. I've heard of that. Is a Sling TV? I think that's the one where you could like have your uh, iPad in a hotel room and you can connect to your DVR at home or something and watch TV. Uh, rather than trying to broadcast every channel in existence, it's claimed that the company will focus on quality over quantity. Given that Hulu is part owned by Disney and 20th Century Fox, you can assume that ABC, ESPN, and Fox will be linchpins of the new platform. The same report explains that Hulu will enable customers to record their own shows in the cloud rather than on a DVR. That's pretty cool. Negotiations are still at an early stage, and no firm details have been released. Yeesh. I don't just mean it's going to happen anytime soon, I don't think. The expected price is around $40 a month. It also suggests that the service will launch at the start of 2017 and will court Hulu's 10 million-plus users who already pay for its product. I'm thinking, let's see, the main channels I watch, you know, I... I Especially during the fall, I do uh, watch shows on, you know, Fox, NBC, ABC, CBS, you know, a little here, a little there. But most of all, I don't know if this is bad, but I've done it all my life. 
I like having the TV on in the background, you know, just on, you know. Um, and I'm wondering if you had the service, would it be practical to be streaming like all the time just in the background? I guess if you have unlimited streaming capabilities and it doesn't cost you any extra money for whatever bandwidth you use, but... I don't know. It seems like you could also benefit from having an over-the-air digital antenna or something. I, I, you know, this is probably for someone with a very specific need, you know. And I saw this article on Lifehacker today. It's movie review scores are fundamentally flawed. And it talks all about Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. And I thought it was interesting because uh, I've thought about that for a long time. Uh, you know, I use Rotten Tomatoes from time to time, basically to just get an idea of the quality of a film, uh, just generally, you know, like I'll wonder like a shitty film that's coming out, like the new Wayans brothers movie. I'm curious to how low the grade is or something. And most of the time, I don't know if, uh, if you guys are like me, but I don't just see every film that comes out every Friday. Maybe at one time I did when my wife and I just got together, you know, we, we saw films like every weekend, like we're going to going to see Con Air. We're going to see Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones. We're going to see, you know, whatever came out every weekend. Hey, what's coming out? You know, but now we don't do that anymore. We have a daughter, you know, we have a house, we have expenses and stuff, and we have to pick, you know, our uh, pick and choose. And a lot of times we generally know if we really want to see a film that comes out. Um, But Rotten Tomatoes, the thing that I have a problem with is it averages... At least this is what I think until I read this article. It averages each uh, critic, like, say, a list of 300 critics, all of whom I have no idea who they are. I don't know their opinions. I don't even know if I agree with them. But this uh, machine that is Rotten Tomatoes, it averages everything that they're they're saying out into a grade. And there have been many times, I'd say more uh, than, than not... I disagree with Rotten Tomatoes grades on films that I like, films that I really love. I'll you can go look up a film that you love right now that came out a long time ago and look at the score. I guarantee you you won't agree with it. You were like, "What?" or something like that. But anyway, uh, I remember back in the day when you just read your local newspaper film critic and just wanted to see what he thought and then you were like, "This guy's an asshole. He doesn't know what he's talking about." But Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, this is me reading the article now, have become our first stop in determining how good a movie is. Until recently, I had no idea how each site arrived at their review scores. Once I found out, I realized I'd been reading them all wrong. Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic's ratings are embedded in everything from movie listing apps like Flickster to Google You've probably seen the rating next to a movie title. Experienced users might even know that each site actually has two scores, one for critics and one for regular viewers. What you may not realize is that each site calculates those numbers differently. To get the critics' ratings, Rotten Tomatoes collects critics' reviews from a variety of sources, usually a couple hundred or so, depending on how high profile the movie is. Each review is then categorized as either fresh or rotten. 
The score you see is the percentage of the total reviews that are considered fresh. So, for example, with the recent superhero clash-up Batman v Superman, the site collected 327 reviews, 90 of which fell into the positive category. 90 is 28% of 327, so that becomes the movie's score. Metacritic, on the other hand, uses a bit more nuance in their system. The company collects reviews from around the web and assigns them a score ranging from 0 to 100. In instances where a site uses a measurable metric, like a numerical rating system or a letter grade, Metacritic fills in a number that is it most closely believes represents that figure. The site then takes a weighted average of all the reviews. The company doesn't reveal how much weight it assigns to an individual reviewer, but it does explain that certain reviewers are given more significance in the overall score based on their stature. Wow, that sounds shady. Uh, This system allows a bit more nuance to show through. In the case of Batman v Superman, Metacritic gave the movie a 44, which is considerably higher than the 28% Rotten Tomatoes gave it. It's worth pointing out that Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, as well as IMDb, also have separate user scores. These work more or less consistently across all three sites. Users are allowed to rate a movie on a scale from 1 to 10, Technically, Rotten Tomatoes uses a 5-star rating, but you can use half-stars, making the math functionally identical. Then, each site has different ways of weighting their scores to come up with the final user rating. The problem with Rotten Tomatoes' method is that by boiling down an entire review to good or bad, it gives critical reviews the nuance of a coin flip. This dramatically sways review scores in polarizing directions. While Rotten Tomatoes doesn't draw attention to it, you can find an average rating for every film directly below the tomato meter score on the website. This scale averages reviewer scores after they've been assigned a value on a 10-point scale. If we look at Batman v Superman example again, we see that its average rating is actually 4.9. That's even higher than the Metacritic rated rated the movie. However, since Rotten Tomatoes treats a reviewer who thought the movie was okay, but had some problems the same way it treats a reviewer that thought the movie was total crap, that slightly below average 4.9 score gets dragged down to an abysmal 28% score. This effect isn't just negative, though. We can look at other big summer superhero clash to see the effect in reverse. Captain America Civil War pulls in a respectable average rating of 7.9 on Rotten Tomatoes right now. But the tomato meter score is considerably higher at 92%, with 126 fresh reviews out of 137. Once again, Metacritic's method gives Civil War a score of 77, which is much closer to Rotten Tomatoes' average rating. Appropriately, this effect makes the tomato meter a bit like Captain America's Super Soldier Serum. Good becomes great, bad becomes worse. The same effect applies to Rotten Tomato user scores, though it's a bit less pronounced. Any score of 3.5 stars or 7 out of 10 is considered positive or fresh, Less than that is considered negative or rotten. The user scores represent the parent, the percentage of positive ratings. While this is still simplistic, the source data has more room. Am I losing you guys? <laughs> the source data has more room for a middle ground than a subjective good or bad. It has much bigger data set to pull from. 
So obviously we know that these sites are averaging in uh, reviews and I think it has no place for middling average reviews. They want good or bad. Otherwise they will just take your review and make it good or bad in order to work with their system. I think people just have to use their, <laughs> Adam, I think people just have to use their own judgment when it comes to films. We can't depend, I mean, okay, find your one or two critics that you always listen to. Most people who are fans of films have their one or two critics. And I, I understand that Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic is for the everybody, you know, people who just want to see. That's the thing I hate about it. Uh, I, I can't stand reading this. I, I read a lot of, you know, not a lot, a couple of TV critics that I read all the time. And if they don't like something, it doesn't mean I'm not going to like it or it doesn't mean I'm not going to watch it. One of the f TV critics that I read all the time uh, gave, I believe, Limitless, which was one of my favorite shows this season. He gave it a D and... He didn't recommend it, and I know for a fact, never watched another episode of the show. I, on the other hand, enjoyed the pilot and went on to enjoy the entire season, uh, and I kept thinking back to him just judging the that one episode, the pilot, and just dismissing the show, and it was really annoying, but the worst part of all is if you go in the comment sections... I hate when you see somebody uh, will write, oh, too bad. I was planning on watching that, but since you hated it, dot, dot, dot. And it's like, really? Because that guy did not like the show. You're going to write it off? He's just a dude. He's just some fat ass sitting at his computer reviewing TV shows like hundreds of pilots every season. He dismissed this. It doesn't mean you're not going to like it. And boy, I'm glad I didn't listen to him. Yeah, stupid. But anyway, the I guess the reason I read this story is because uh, the whole system seems flawed to me, and it's really stupid. Uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but I just thought you guys might dig that. Okay, here's another story that I thought was funny. The writer of Dragon Ball Evolution offers its a sincere apology to fans. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Dragon Ball cartoon, but my daughter loved it. She loved uh, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. Was it Dragon Ball Z Yokai or something like that? She would say it real fast. I go, what are you watching? Dragon Ball Z Yokai? And I go, wait, what? What are you watching? Dragon Ball Z Yokai? I was like, I, can you slow down? Wait, wait what are you watching? <laughs> but apparently they made a movie. Uh, a couple of years ago, and it sucked, and it looked terrible, and I think Chow Yun-Fat was in it, <laughs> but it says, you know when you did something horrible seven years ago, and you realize it's finally time to apologize? Well, so does Ben Ramsey. He wrote the lowly regarded Dragon Ball Evolution, and he is sorry, okay? Yee. Dragon Ball fan and writer Derek Padula con contacted Ramsey in the hopes of interviewing him for a book he's writing. He got back an apology addressed to all fans everywhere, which Padula published on his website. And this is that letter. I knew that it would eventually come down to this day, this one day. Dragon Ball Evolution marked a very painful creative point in my life. To have something with my name on it as the writer be so globally reviled is gut-wrenching. 
To receive hate mail from all over the world is heartbreaking. I spent so many years trying to deflect the blame, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to the written word on a page, and I take full responsibility for what was such a disappointment to so many fans. I did the best I could, but at the end of the day, I dropped the Dragon Ball. Nice. I went into the project chasing after a big payday, not as a fan of the franchise, but as a businessman taking on an assignment. I have learned that when you go into a creative endeavor without passion, you come out with suboptimal results and sometimes flat out garbage. So I'm not blaming anyone for Dragon Ball but myself. As a fanboy of other series, I know what it's like to have something you love and anticipate be so disappointing. To all the Dragon Ball fans out there, I sincerely apologize. I hope I can make it up to you by creating something really cool and entertaining that you will like. And that is also something I am passionate about. That's the only work I do now. Best. Ben. Wow. Not only is that rare for people in Hollywood to apologize, it's even rare for them to flat out admit they did something for a paycheck. True, the fact that he wasn't a fan really showed, but it's not always a requirement that someone involved in an adaptation be a huge fan. Sometimes that can lead to an inability to recognize what changes need to be made for the new project to succeed. On the other hand, it's better if they have some familiarity as well as respect for the material, which was certainly missing from Dragon Ball Evolution. While Ramsey is taking the blame here, never forget that he couldn't have made the disaster all of his own. It took a lot of people in a major studio, Fox, for making it possible. Yeah. I got to see the film now. I got to see how horrible this is. But actually, I wouldn't even understand if I'm not a fan of Dragon Ball. So I need to get my daughter, who's a fan of Dragon Ball Z Yokai, to uh, to see what she thinks of it. Now, this is a story suggested by Adam. Adam Sexton in the chat room. Thank you for listening. Uh, the Criterion Collection, introducing Filmstruck. Night after night, for more than 20 years, the programming team at Turner Classic Movies has been exploring the world of film in a smart, adventurous way. They have stuck to their mission, consistently shining a light on the classics, delighting us with their themes, surprising us with their discoveries, and earning our trust. So when they asked us to team with the launch of Filmstruck, a new subscription streaming service designed for people who love independent art house and international cinema, we were honored and thrilled. Combining Turner's programming experience with Criterion's library of films and supplemental content made all the sense in the world. Filmstruck will be launching this fall on desktop and mobile devices and internet-connected television platforms. A cer- Can you imagine being able to do this? That would be so cool to launch your own uh, service. It sounds cool. A service built from the start with nothing but movies in mind. It will feature films from many major studios and independent distributors alongside a broad and constantly rotating selection of Criterion Films complete with the commentaries and rich supplemental content that Criterion viewers have come to expect. Carefully curated and always changing. It should be a cinema lover's dream. That is awesome that it includes commentaries. Now, Adam, have you watched some of the Criterion Collection stuff on uh, Hulu? Do they still have an agreement with Hulu? Because I'm wondering if they even have commentaries on there, because that seems like a cool get. 
The Criterion offering on Hulu will still be available into the month of November, but after that, Filmstruck and Criterion Channel will be our exclusive streaming home. Feel free to let us know in the comments what you want. Okay, um, but I, I guess that answers my question that Hulu's going away. That is so cool. So, Filmstruck. I'm not seeing a price yet. I guess they don't have that part figured out. I can't be more than like seven, eight ninety nine a month, right? For somebody uh, who uh, watches a lot of films, that would be perfect. And uh, no, Hulu does not feature commentaries. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool, though. I want Netflix to start doing that, having commentaries. Back in the day, I used to love watching commentaries, and I haven't done it in a long time. All right, here's some um, movie news you don't care about. Justin Lin circling Space Jam, (laughs) sequel starring LeBron James. Yes, that's right. Lin, Andrew Dodge, and Alfredo Botello are writing the script for the follow-up to the 96 starring Michael Jordan. Justin Lin, uh, of course, you know, is the Fast and the Furious director. And right now he's directing Star Trek Beyond. Lin is also looking to direct and produce for his Perfect Storm Entertainment. The WME rep Cleveland Cavaliers Ford, who recently appeared in Amy Schumer's comedy Trainwreck, will star in the sequel. Rumors of a follow-up to the live-action animated hit have been circulating for years, but picked up steam in July when James and his company signed a deal with Warner Brothers. The first film, which earned how much? $230 million? Featured Michael Jordan teaming up with a collection of Looney Tunes to play a game of basketball against aliens threatening their freedom. Um, yeah. Have you guys ever seen, uh, space jam? Uh, neither have I. So I thought this would be amusing, but more likely I'm just finding it sad. Uh, so we don't care about that. Okay. Now in some video game stuff, Nintendo won't sell NX, you know, remember the Nintendo NX? I talked all about that last week. Kind of. It's their new, console that they're going to come out with nobody really knows anything about it but they're saying that they're not going to sell it at a loss which means what happens i believe like they sony was selling the ps4 and xbox selling the xbox one and i believe they still are because they slash prices on those things rather quickly uh to to get them into homes and they're selling them at a loss to get a player base so they buy more games, etc. But Nintendo hasn't yet announced the price of its next console, codenamed the NX. But the company recently indicated that it does not intend to take a loss with each sale. We are not thinking of launching the hardware at a loss, said uh, Nintendo president Tatsumi Kimishima during an investors meeting. Selling at a loss at launch would not support the business. Yeah. Kimishima added that Nintendo is developing the NX hardware with that mission in mind, suggesting that the company, it sounds like with that mission in mind, saving our company, (laughs) suggesting that the company is looking to keep costs down for the console's component in the manufacturing process. Is this giving anybody hope for the Nintendo? 
Historically, Nintendo priced its hardware to make a profit, even at launch. That's the opposite of the strategy employed by Sony and Microsoft, which take a loss on hardware sales and hope to make it up in software. However, that changed with the debut of the Wii U in the fall of 2012. The strength of the Japanese yen at the time was a major factor in Nintendo's decision to launch the Wii U at a loss, and it took until the spring of 2014 for the company to make money with each Wii U sale. Kimishima also responded to comments about Nintendo's decision to launch the NX next March, whether it seemed like the company had planned to release the console this year. One investor pointed out that Nintendo's two previous presidents noted the importance of launching before the holiday season. Here, I'm hung up on this name here. Hiroshi Yamaki with the GameCube and Satoru Iwata <laughs> with the 3DS, uh, which missed the, uh, the launch window in early 2011. Launching the NX in March 2017 doesn't mean that Nintendo longer, no longer believes that the holiday season matters. Instead, one of the major factors is, t is the timing and ensuring that the console has a sufficient launch lineup. We believe that when launching hardware, the amount of quality software for consumers to play that is available at launch is important. And we ought to determine our launch dates based on this. In that sense, our approach is that we should wait and we can provide a fully realized experience rather than rushing. Well, you know, that's good. You don't want to rush it out there, a console, and not have enough games. And that was the problem with the Wii U I always heard. And I don't mean I don't own one, but that there never have been enough games for the freaking system. And everybody was waiting for Legend of Zelda. That got pushed to 2017 and everyone's bummed out. So, um, whatever. All right. I have a story. This concerns Ghostbusters with Melissa McCarthy. Hey, how about that? Um... She was recently on a radio show that I've never heard of <laughs> during an appearance on the John Jay and Rich show. Oh man, we should have done that. Like the Bill, Steven and Jason show or something like that. McCarthy was asked about the negative reception. The trailer had received from people. The actress admitted that she had similar qualms with the use of the word reboot and had brought it up to the team before the trailer went live. I know it's weird what they say 30 years ago in the trailer, but in this movie, it's like the first one didn't happen. It's a great story, but it's totally different. McCarthy said that when she brought up the issue she had with it, addressing that the movie does not rely on the first one to make sense, she was blatantly ignored. I think that it's very confusing, McCarthy said, but then everyone said, we don't care what you think. The Ghostbusters trailer, which was released in March, has become one of the most downvoted trailers on YouTube. Director Paul Feig, Feig spoke to The Guardian about the level of hatred people seem to have for the video, calling the campaign against the movie a non-starter. Feig said that uh, while he could sympathize with people who didn't want an old property touch, he had no patience for people who were upset about the film starring women. Ghostbusters, which McCarthy alongside Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, and Kristen Wiig hits theaters July 15th. So he didn't really talk about the trailer at all. So that quote to Paul Feig is just stupid. Ask him what he thought of people not liking or, or the confusion about that. But, you know, they just wanted to throw a comment by the director there. So whatever.
And you can hear my thoughts on that trailer if you listen to Trailer React. <laughs> uh, Adam, if you have any more stories, uh, or Brandon, you guys got any stories you want me to cover? Because I'm running out of stories here. Okay, this one, moviegoers want a Black Widow solo film for Scarlett Johansson. Johansson? Scar Joe. The fans have spoken, Marvel. They want a Black Widow to have their own superhero movie. And when it comes to existing solo films, they're team cap all the way. And a poll of more than 1,000 moviegoers who already bought tickets for Civil War, conducted by ticket sale, Fandago.com for US Today, said Scarlett Johansson's secret agent was the Avenger they'd most want to watch in a standalone feature. Paul Bettany's Android Vision received 15% of the vote, followed by Anthony Mackie, Falcon, 12%, Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye. Wow, Hawkeye fared that bad in the thing? Don Cheadle's Armored War Machine, 8%, and Elizabeth Olsen's Scarlet Witch, 7%. Fans also weighed on on which A-list do-gooder had the best solo films, which Chris Evans, Captain America, taking down Robert Downey Jr., 57% to 43%. The three Iron Man movies alone have tallied a whopping $1 billion domestically. It doesn't surprise Eric Davis, managing editor for Fandango. Yeah, why are they interviewing this guy? <laughs> Captain America is the boyfriend you bring home to meet your parents, and Tony Stark is the boyfriend you hide from your parents, said Davis. Oh, shut up. While the Iron Man films that started in 2008 set the course for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Captain America the First Avenger debuted in 2011 once Marvel got their groove down a little bit. Why are they talking to this guy? Who cares? What happened to the story about the the Black Widow movie? They totally lost me on this thing. Um, with major roles for Black Widow and Avengers and other Marvel films since 2010, Davis figures that the Marvel faithful know that her backstory is very interesting and they want to see her front and center. The fact that the fans want to see Black Widow movies sooner than later speak to how much moviegoers are ready for a female-driven Marvel movie. A Captain Marvel film featuring a fan-favorite character, Carol Danvers, has been pushed to 2019. And people love watching Scarlett Johansson kick butt, especially as a character. Sorry for this story, guys. This is really dumb. Um, yeah. This on USA Today, by the way. Um, Olivia Munn turned down the role of Deadpool. Not it, as Deadpool. <laughs> but Deadpool's love interest that was played by uh, Marina Baccarin. Uh, the star has made it very clear she doesn't want to just be playing the girlfriend anymore. She's here to play the hero, and that's why she chose to play Psylocke in X-Men Apocalypse and not the lead in Deadpool. The female lead, that is. She wasn't ever going to play Deadpool, just so you know. In a new interview with American Way magazine, a magazine I've never heard of, she explained that she passed on the Deadpool part. Because she didn't want to be the girlfriend, which they've already stated in the story. But I'm reading it anyway. Although it's worth noting that in the comic books, the character is a hero in her own right, right named Copycat. Uh, I, <laughs> for X-Men, Munn had a big question during her early meetings. Is there a fight scene? I thought Psylocke was always one of the most lethal characters. 
Yes, as long as you're not using her to be eye candy. She has really powerful abilities, they said. So that was important. So she took the role. Okay. And, uh, you know, guys, I have to have the obligatory Walking Dead story. I'm so sorry, Adam and Brandon, but I got to do it. Uh, Walking Dead boss defends the Star Trek-style cliffhanger. Uh, What? Let me just... What? This is... uh, I don't understand. The Walking Dead Season 7 has already begun production, kicking off a new round of fan investigation to fill the void of Game of Thrones' latest twist and giving producers one hell of a challenge to keep Negan's victims under wraps. That said, creator Robert Kirkman isn't done defending the controversial cliffhanger, likening it to the best episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Granted, we've heard Kirkman and AMC showrunner Scott Gimple defending the finale. Hell, even Chris Hardwick defended the finale. Uh, In it, the franchise creator spoke to wanting to give fans something to anticipate in the long months between seasons, invoking the famous Best of Both Worlds cliffhanger from Star Trek. Oh, this guy. Oh, my God. Okay, the season six finale has certainly caused a fervor online. Everyone is talking about it. Some people love it. Some people are indifferent. Some people hate it. We weren't trying... Nobody loved it, by the way. He's full of shit. (laughs) We weren't trying to game the audience. We weren't trying to drive you crazy. And we certainly weren't trying to force you to come back for Season 7. We hope you were always planning on doing that and still plan on doing that. We did want you to talk, though. And talking about it, you are. Oh, my God. Douche nozzle. The speculation, the frustration, the possibilities, the theories. Honestly, in my mind, that stuff is fun. I honestly feel like that's something fun for the fans to do during the break. Was it Spencer? Could it have been Morgan? What about Carol? Did Negan kill Jesus? I know people are angry over this, but that wasn't our intent. The idea was that after six seasons of a show, we wanted to stay on your mind and give you something to talk about. Oh, you mean like a good story, maybe? And think of it this way. A character you love and I are going to miss is dead and we gave you a few extra months to hope to not grieve is there uncertainty yes but that was kind of the idea but seriously everyone on the walking dead team wanted to do something cool we wanted to do something different and we did it to change things up get people excited and keep this show on your mind for some of you that effort backfired and you're angry and for that i'm sorry the one thing I can promise you is that season, the season seven premiere is going to be awesome. <laughs> this guy is a jag off, seriously. And when viewed as a two part episode, the same way every season of Star Trek The Next Generation ended with the first half of the two part episode that was the cliffhanger, it's going to be an awesome ride. And every minute of season six finale was important in setting something up that you probably won't see coming. It's a cool episode. And remember, there's a lot more for Negan to do. Be afraid. Be very afraid. I think I hate Robert Kirkman. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad I'm not watching the show anymore. But that was for you fans who are still watching the show. This is the Jagoff running this show. (laughs) So, uh... I'm curious, Adam and Brandon, how are you guys excited about Captain America's Civil War? Huh? You guys going to see it Friday? First showing, 
middle showing. I'm going to go see it the seven-ish showing. That's usually when I get to do it because, you know, Steven flies into, comes back into town on Friday and usually he gets home just in time for that. By the way, I did see the film Keanu with Key and Pill, and I thought it was really funny. It's a pretty, a very silly movie. And of course the kitten is adorable. Uh, you know, it's, it's got that kind of uh, gang banging uh, humor and then pretending to be street and gangsta. So that's pretty silly. And it can be shockingly violent at time for a laugh. And I thought it was a pretty good time. Uh, I really dug that. And also I, uh, have been playing a demo of a game called Neo N I O H on the PS4. You could, uh, it's a, a time demo that you can only play for a certain amount of days in May. I don't know when it ends, but I played some more yesterday and <clears throat> the first time I played it last week, it was really hard. I had no idea what was going on. I was figuring it out. I was walking off ledges. I was drowning. I was being one hit killed by the, uh, the bad guys. I was like, how do I do this? I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't even know how to open the menu screen to, uh, to, uh, level up my character. What's funny is I have been playing Xbox one a lot, playing quantum break. And when I switched to the PS4, I'm not used to that middle pad thing. That's actually a button. You can slide your finger on it for certain games, or you can just push it in and it would open a screen. I was hitting the pause button and the share button going, how do you, where's the menus on this thing? And I didn't realize that, uh, yeah, you have to hit that pad and uh, open it up. But uh, I played around with it and I did a lot better yesterday. And uh, you're, you're a samurai and you're uh, chopping dudes up. You can lop off heads, etc. The game is really hard. You have to be uh, very careful which ways you walk so you don't pull more than one uh, bad guy on the screen. I've had as many as three at once and I'm running around going, ah, you know, but, uh, there's something about it. That's oddly addictive. It's just so neat when you start looting better armor and you start becoming a badass. So I'm very like intrigued by this Neo game. And in fact, I wanted to play it really badly, before I did the show and I was like, Jason, you don't have time. You don't have time. Put it out of your head. And I'm like, but no, I could play it for an hour or something. No, you don't have time, Jason. Don't even think about it. <laughs> but I also downloaded, there's um, I don't know if you saw this, Adam, I'm not really big into final fantasy games, but I saw there was a demo of that. So I downloaded it. I need to play that. Uh, Brandon, what is midnight special? That sounds familiar. Sounds very familiar. I was curious of what's opening along with Captain America and it's some movies I've never heard of, but next week we have money monster that, uh, George Clooney film with, uh, Julia Roberts. Is it just me? Or is that a horrible title for a movie money monster? Hi, uh, I'd like two tickets to money monster, please. I don't see myself uh, saying that <laughs> it may be good though. I don't know, but, uh, the money monster, whatever. I haven't watched the new Ninja Turtles trailer, but I want to check that out. I'm trying to see what movies are coming up soon. Oh, nice guys. 
Uh, the Shane Black film comes out on May 20th. That's the one I'm really looking forward to. When Captain America is over with and I'm done watching that, the next movie I'm looking forward to is Shane Black's The Nice Guys. It looks awesome with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. It just looks so entertaining. Damn it. It looks like a great adult R comedy action vehicle. And I can't wait to watch that, man. It looks like a great kind of buddy movie. And uh, I'll definitely see that. That's May 20th, guys. May 20th. That's when The Nice Guys comes out. So really, uh, two weeks. Well, guys, uh, that's all the stories I have this week. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to ETL News. I have a lot of fun doing this show. It's cool just to see what stories. I'm sure I miss some stories. If you guys want to start sending me stories, send them to nimpodcast.blogspot.com. Or you can show up at the time of the show and send me um, send me a link in the chat room. And I'll certainly read the story. Um, guys, if you would, go to nimpodcast.blogspot.com. That's where you can find all of our previous shows. Especially all the previous uh, ETL news. I don't know what the shelf life is of these shows, but <laughs> maybe you'll dig them. Just load them up on your uh, smartphone and listen to all of them in one day at work or something like that. But also, if you'd like to send me some feedback or, like I said, news stories, send it to nimpodcast at gmail.com. And we no longer have a voicemail number. Which is bummer, but you could always send me a voicemail and attach it in an email. And that would be pretty sweet. So keep an eye out for the instant reaction of Captain America Civil War. I have no idea if Bill will be able to see it on Friday. I hope he does. I know he's real busy with school, but it'd be cool to call him uh, right out of the theater like we did Hardcore Henry, you know. Uh, but Steve and I will definitely be recording. And Adam, if you want to call in after you see it or whatever, be in the chat room, guys. And uh, we'll go live sometime Friday evening <laughs> after the show. And uh, it should be awesome. I'm, I'm really excited for the film. And I've tried not to watch the most recent trailer clips. And, you know, they're an exclusive scene from Captain America Civil War and I'm like nah don't need to see that I'm going to see the movie on Friday don't need to see anymore who are they selling this movie to who's not already aboard man (laughs) who is like still like I don't know if I want to see that show me one more clip one more clip Eh, I'll think about it it's like no we're all on board and we're going to see it ASAP you don't need to sell it to us anymore um, so I can't wait to do that. I have no idea when we're going to do another trailer react. I'm going to wait till Bill, uh, is no longer busy with school. He's, we've already talked about when he's out of school, like summer break, we're going to be, uh, doing some shows, especially the first show I want to do is our Ghostbusters 2 movie mini. As soon as we get a chance to do that, that he doesn't have to worry about studying and stuff like that. So that'll be pretty sweet. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to me today live or listening to me, uh, whatever, or listening to the show (laughs) via podcast. Can you believe that uh, we've been podcasting since 2005? It's insane. But anyway, Adam, Brandon, thank you guys for uh, listening. And 
What are you guys waiting for? Go out there and play some video games, watch some TV, watch some movies, do something creative, and I'll see you next time! You have the manners of a goat. Now this is podcasting.